In exploring the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are brought back to the work of the Millennium Development Goals, as we are called to cross the road and help our neighbors in need. In this sermon delivered on July 15, 2007 at Church of Our Savior, S.D. Cantor opens with a reading from John Donne's 17th Meditation. No man is an island entire of itself. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Well, I begin with that quote from our own divine Anglican divine, John Donne, because of the remarkable week I have had, and the way that has made me hear, hear that quote in a different way than I had before. I had heard that Sheila Andrus, the wife of our bishop, was giving a course at my old seminary, CDSP, and partly because I like her so much, and partly because I wanted to learn much more about the subject she was teaching, I took the plunge, and I found myself in seminary once again, if only for a week. Well, during the whole of the course, we studied in minute detail the Millennium Development Goals that our diocese has pledged to support as of the last convention. We saw films, we heard countless statistics, we heard moving stories, and we had several wonderful guest lecturers. My favorite two were my old favorite seminary professor, the brilliant eco-feminist scholar, Marian Grau, and our own Bishop Mark Andrus. The great gift that Marian Grau gave me was that the idea she had come from her own experience was that we couldn't pursue fulfilling these goals out of guilt that we hadn't done enough or out of anger that other people hadn't done enough but rather out of joyousness that we can, in fact, do something. And also to simply come from where you are. If you're doing nothing, do something. If you're doing something, perhaps you can do a little more. And the great gift that Bishop Andrus gave us was adding a ninth millennium goal, which was peace and reconciliation for people of all the world. But first, we had to learn, as they put it, how the world is today. In all the many stories that we heard during the week, there were some startling, depressing revelations, but also some very heartening ones. But by far, it was Africa that came through as a veritable ocean of suffering. The statistics are horrifying, and I'll give you only one. There are 13 million AIDS orphans in sub-Saharan Africa right now. And that is the same number as there are children under five in our country. But the story that stayed with me the most was that of Olivia, a 12-year-old African girl living in a desperately poor village. Both her mother and her father and her siblings all had AIDS. When her father and all her siblings had died, she was the only one available to take care of her mother, who died in her arms soon afterwards. By some streak of luck, she was discovered by an American governmental agency who had arrived to help. And she was immediately recognized for her articulate 
and heart-rending ability to tell her story, thus her appearance in a film that we saw. She was then asked to come to Washington to tell her story to a congressional hearing. She did this with great dignity, great clarity, and heart. She made a very strong impression, and her appearance there was instrumental in a dramatic raise in AIDS funding to Africa. After her speech, she returned to Africa. She had been tested, and it was determined that she, too, was HIV positive, and soon she began to sicken. There was heart-rending footage of the government worker who first discovered her struggling with the attempts to try to get her the medication she needed and to pay for it, as it was $500 a month. Finally, this governmental worker realized the only way she could get this medication for Olivia was to pay for it herself, which she was willing to do. But for Olivia, it was too late. Her immune system was sufficiently depressed that she got several infections and she died. She was a bright, beautiful, and articulate girl, and she had given so much of herself to benefit so many. But there was also the story of Beatrice, who was much luckier. Beatrice was also bright and beautiful, also from a desperately poor African village. In fact, her house was made out of refuse that had been salvaged. Somehow, Heifer International discovered that village and gave this girl a baby goat. This story was particularly heartening for me because of the fact that our own parish provided a small flock of goats last year to Heifer International. The filmmakers followed her story for about 10 years, so we first see her as a small child sleeping with her arms around a silky baby goat. Beatrice was an extraordinary bright and ambitious girl, and she had always wanted to go to school, but there had never been money in her family to send her. But after a few years, believe it or not, just with the proceeds from the milk from this goat, they were able to put aside enough money to send her to school. At age 10, she could not read or write at all, but she was so ambitious and so bright that she stayed up some nights studying all night to catch up, and soon she read and she wrote very well. Soon she got a scholarship to a secondary school, and from there she got a scholarship to an American university. There is wonderful footage of her beaming, talking about her education in the United States, but laughing about the, quote, ridiculously cold winters that she had to learn to adjust to. After she graduated from college, there was only one thing she wanted to do. She wanted to go back to Africa. We see a wonderful African ceremony in which a family that was previously gifted with a goat gives the offspring of that goat to another poor family. Olivia, in celebratory African garb, is asked by the interviewer what she wanted to do with her life. I want to start a school, she said, so that other children can have the opportunity to learn as I did. I also want to start an orphanage, too because there are far too many orphans in my village. Finally, we heard about the Victoria story of Dr. Paul Farmer, who has been working for two decades taking care of desperately sick AIDS patients. Dr. Farmer had to consistently turn a deaf ear to all the agencies who argued that desperately poor people in the third world couldn't possibly understand how to take a complicated 
regimen of AIDS medications, and so giving money would be not cost-effective. But he proved these arguments wrong, and he made real progress. As he puts it, a decade of prevention plus treatment plus addressing social issues equals success. Whether we measure success by AIDS mortality, numbers of new infections prevented, or numbers of patients who receive their first real dose of primary health care. We saw images of Joseph Jeun, a 26-year-old who was weak and skeletal at first and looked so much like all the others who were headed for death. But because he was able to receive antiviral therapy, we see him in the next image, robust, smiling, and holding his healthy infant son. In the final image, he is standing up and speaking before a health and human rights conference. He'd become an AIDS activist. Wonderful progress was made there, but still there are far, far too many tragic stories, far too many people, and far too few people to help. Dr. Farmer, like so many courageous workers we learned about this past week, embraced a sector of humanity that was far from his own tribe, far from the people he grew up with, far from people he might consider his neighbors. In the book of Amos, our Old Testament reading, Amos, like Jesus, puts forth some very unpopular ideas. He wants Israel to stick to the plumb line, and his understanding of God's work is a concentration on justice and mercy rather than pageantry. He lists the punishments that might happen if we stray from that plumb line. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. But in our psalm for today, we hear a kinder, gentler message. Save the weak and the orphan. Defend the humble and the needy. Rescue the weak and the poor. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. They do not know. Neither do they understand. They go about in darkness. And in our gospel reading today, Jesus tries to give us a different sense of what a tribe or a neighbor might be. Who is my neighbor? This is the second question posed to Jesus by the curious lawyer in our story, and it's a very good question. And one that inspires Jesus to tell the famous story of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite leave the poor man bleeding by the side of the road. It may be not pure heartlessness on their part, but simply a faithful keeping to the purity codes, as an observant Jew was not allowed to touch a bleeding person. But it was a Samaritan, one of the tribes that the Hebrews despised most, who came to the aid of the fallen man. Jesus tells the story of one who took the risk of reaching out to help, to bind the wounds of someone of another tribe. This is how we as Christians have been told to recognize our neighbor, the one who is outcast, the one who has been ignored, the one who has been rejected and is suffering. He has been passed over again and again. Africa lies bleeding by the side of the road, and countries and peoples and nations are passing her by. She is not of our tribe, but she is surely our neighbor. 
the last thing that Jesus says makes it plain that he has some hope for the curious lawyer. The lawyer whose first question was, what is the recipe for eternal life? Eternal life is that quality of life that shows mercy to those in need. Jesus is talking about mercy. And mercy pays no attention to region or religion or creed or race. At last, Jesus refers to the selfless act of the Good Samaritan, and he says, go and do likewise. And at this, the reader takes heart, because perhaps we too can transcend our tribal nature, our allergies to compassion, our primitive self-protection. Our neighbor lies bleeding, and we can help. And at this point, another question might arise, one that we could ask ourselves. Will we pass them by? Amen. listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907. Or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.